Welcome to Roadcase, the podcast that explores the live music experience. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Josh Rosenberg, and I'll be taking you on a journey through in-depth interviews with performers and key people in the industry to explore the magic of live music, how it can be totally transformative for both fans and performers, and we'll look at how they take it all out on the road. It's going to be a great ride, so here we go. Hey, welcome back to Roadcase, everybody. This is your host, Josh Rosenberg. I am so psyched to be here for this episode with John Gutwillig of Disco Biscuits. So happy that you're here. If you are a longtime listener of Roadcase, thanks so much for your support. Really psyched to have you back. And if you're here for the first time to listen to John, welcome to the Roadcase community. If I sound a little weird to you, longtime listeners or repeat listeners, that's because I had COVID this week, so finally caught up with me once again. Uh, had it last year as well, uh, like or actually late, like 2021. So yeah, uh, might sound a little bit up in my head, et cetera. I didn't have it during the interview, but I kind of like listened to myself and I think that I sound like I had it then too, but uh, I'm kind of now, it's been like five or six days, I'm kind of done with it, but just wanted to put that out there, so Poor me. I had COVID. Yes, I survived. Um, I am here. Glad you are too. So there's a number of different ways that you can get involved in the road case community. And we really do depend a lot on the support of you amazing listeners. Really easy way to support road case is to follow us on the socials. We're at Roadcase pod on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, really appreciate it if you give us a follow on any of those socials. Uh, if you'd like more information about road case, you can check out our website, www.roadcasepod.com. You want to get in touch with us, you could shoot us an email at info at roadcasepod.com. A great way to help support Roadcase is subscribe is to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. If you're on Spotify, for example, there's a little follow box there on the Roadcase homepage on Spotify. You just click that. Uh, Apple Podcasts up in the upper right-hand corner, there's a check mark. Click that. Doing so on those platforms and other streaming platforms will allow you to receive updates as to when new episodes come into the world. Another great way to support Roadcase. And like I said, we really depend on the support of listeners. And this is a really easy way to support Roadcase is to rate and review Roadcase on your favorite listening platform. So on Spotify, under that follow box, there's a little box with some stars. Just click on that. It's as simple as that on Apple Podcast. Uh, scroll up a little bit from the Roadcase homepage. You'll see some stars. Click on a bunch of those stars. There's a place to write a review as well. Uh, really appreciate your support in doing that. So I've got John Gutwillig from Disco Biscuits here on the show for this episode, this interview that I did last week. I just saw Disco Biscuits over New Year's at the Riviera in Chicago. It is just an amazing show. It was the first time that I saw these guys. They have an upcoming album. Uh, it's going to be entitled Revolution in Motion out in the spring. John said around April, May time frame. It is a space opera and uh, singles are out now under the title another plan of attack a really grand scheme aliens coming to this planet we talk a bunch about it as you can well imagine uh john's from pennsylvania originally went to the university of pennsylvania where he met his future bandmates listened to a ton of different musical influences disco jazz a ton of zappa uh 
he's been around for a long time. He's really has so many different musical influences. It's just really, really intriguing. Their first album came out in 1996, uh, played Wetlands, the premier jam band club run in the late 90s by Peter Shapiro, whom I also had on this show, episode 148 of Last August, if you're interested in checking that out. Disco Biscuits are going out on tour. Their first show is January 18th, the House of Blues in Cleveland. They're also doing multi-night runs at the Cap in Port Chester, New York, at Caverns in Tennessee, uh, the Belly Up at Aspen and Mission Ballroom. They will also be in Iceland in uh, in May, May 20th through 22nd. And if you're interested in that, you should go to Disco Biscuits website and check out all the information. So these guys are going back out on tour. Uh, John just became a dad in 2020. And we're talking a bunch about that as well. So really psyched that you all are here for this one. Uh, sorry about my voice, etc. But uh, here we are, uh, another episode of Roadcase. And I thank you so much to all of you for your support. And thanks so much for being here. And I want to send a special thank you to John Gutwillig of Disco Biscuits for being here on this episode of Roadcase. And here we go. Hey, John, great to have you on Roadcase, man. So, uh, so happy to see you. How are you doing, dude? I'm great. Great pleasure to be on Roadcase. Happy to be here. Thanks, man. I'm so happy to have you. Um, where are you lo- Where are you located now? I mean, besides in a basement right now I'm somewhere. In, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm in the basement of my house, uh, about an hour outside of Philadelphia in Pennsylvania. Okay, just relaxing post New Year's, having a good time. Yeah, right. Um, how was your holidays? It was good. I saw you guys at the Riv, so I know what part of what you were doing over the holidays. Yeah, three nights at the Riv was really easy. Um, the Chicago's great over New Year's, especially when it's not that cold like it was this year. And but I I, I like cold Chicago too. And it was just an easy week. It was, it was an easy time. We had a lot of large family parties leading up to that. Yeah, which were explosive. So the, uh, the shows were actually the easy part of the holiday. <laughs> what your family? Yeah, the family part is the hardest, right? Oh, for sure. This year, especially with some big parties, a lot of people, and it just got a little out of hand. Did you get out into Chicago and do some stuff? Did you have a chance to do that? I did. I went to visit a buddy of mine and spent a day with his family and um, just got out a little bit. We went to a gym, did some yoga one day, and oh, just nice. like, kind of got into the community a little bit, got ready for the weekend. What stu- Do you remember the studio? Uh, it was it was the Lifetime Gym in River North. Oh, it was a gym, and they had yoga there. Okay, yeah, yeah. I practice yoga too. Are you yeah. pretty regular with that? I'm trying to be. Uh, I'm. We. I've gone five weeks in a row, so I don't know how regular that is. I'm sure there's people who go for years, but five weeks in a row for me is a huge accomplishment. So I'm saying, hey, whatever you take, whatever you can get, right? Small goals. <laughs> everyone's journey is different but um you just started out or what's that i've been doing it for years off and on yeah but it's it's it never i've never really like i change my workout all the time i change what i do physically all the time so now i'm doing yoga four months ago i was doing stairmasters i always change what it is i do one thing 
for a couple of weeks and then I get bored of it and move on to something else or I feel like I need something different and I'll do that. I don't like to do, I don't know enough about working out to do like a full body routine or something. Yeah. Sometimes I get a trainer and they show me what to do. I just change it up a lot. Huh. Is that sort of part of your, does that reflect kind of part of your personality? Like you like to do different things? I mean, I, I'd love to extrapolate that to the music and the journey of Disco Biscuits too, but. <laughs> I guess so. I mean, a lot of people are very, very intense about their workouts. I think when you're a touring musician, you're not afforded that luxury because it's hard to work out everywhere you go. It's hard to, I mean, I guess nowadays with Uber, it's a lot easier than it used to be, but mm. you know, before Uber, it was impossible. Like, how did you get around all these places, and how would you get home? Yeah, uh, you couldn't move around that easy. So you basically did your best. Some guys work out in hotel rooms. I can never do that. Some guys work out in the hotel. That's okay. That's been getting better. So there's options. Yeah. But to me, you know, sometimes I just, like, I have a guitar in my room, and I'll do a guitar workout. I feel like that's maybe the most important thing to do for me. Yeah, probably. <laughs> maybe. I don't know. You know, there's there's people talk about cardio, too, obviously. I'm joking. But uh, it's the one thing where, like, I think, I'm not a runner, but I think runners have are, are lucky because if, if you're in the... If you're in the business and you're touring and you happen to like to run and get out and do that, you know, you pack a pair of jogging shoes and some shorts and a shirt and you're good to go, right? I guess. I mean, well, we're I did not that even talking years. about the weather. But yeah, it gets you out. It gets you seeing the town. Yeah. You used to do that a bunch? It's not a great idea. Oh, why is that? <laughs> uh, it's actually a pretty bad idea. The problem is you don't know where you're running. Yeah. And... Almost every running path near the club or the place that you're playing is going to be in the city or something, and it's going to cross streets. And I almost got hit by a car like four times in one week. Just oh, you're out, you're trying to zen out and run, and next thing you know, a bus is like coming right at your face, and you're oh, just like, fine. oh, man. Yeah, running's tough. I don't, yeah. I don't know if I – if you're a treadmill runner, that's probably the best thing to be. Yeah, if right. If you're an well, outdoor runner like me, it's very dangerous. Treadmill is safer for sure. <laughs> yeah, super safe. <laughs> it's safer to just run in place, I guess, is the point here. Um, well, I was at the, I had the pleasure of seeing Disco Biscuits for the first time in Chicago at the Riv at the, the first night of that New Year's run. It was extraordinary, man. I really had a great time. It was, um, uh, wow. I, I wasn't really, pro I wasn't, necessarily i was prepared i mean edm trance electronica jam like what is this going to be about um it's not necessarily a lane i usually travel in and that's great mm. because you guys create create have really kind of created a, a lane for yourselves in that in that arena and it's it's not one that i've written down a lot boy i'm i'm on board though um it, it was just um and and you know, I'm sure you're aware of this. It is a party down in the in the crowd and uh, amazing people, super welcoming, sweet people, loving, wanting to party, having a good time, walking around. There's a lot of movement in the crowd. People are just moving from person to person. And uh, and you're just providing that vibe up there. I, I, I really enjoyed it. Like from your perspective, um, what what is that vibe? What is that feel you know, you guys have been at this for a long time, but what does that what does that mean to you currently? I mean, that's a great question. We have 
different types of set lists that we play, which have different types of kind of crowd responses that they get. Some are darker, some are lighter. Mm-hmm. And we mix them up a lot. And you never know which crowd is really going to vibe with which response. And you do get huh. different responses from the crowd. And so we've been kind of putting a lot of new material in the sets and staying a little bit more consistent on that instead of doing like the full carousel of you never know what song you're going to get with us because we do have a lot of songs. So there's a lot of stuff we could play at any time. And we've been rotating a lot of the new songs around and really trying to give the new songs like a little bit of tread, like really trying to break them in a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it's been giving us a very consistent vibe as a band and the crowd's getting a consistent vibe. And I kind of like that. Mm. And I think it's working really well for us right now. Do, do you mean to say that you're playing the songs off the new album in a more consistent fashion, so it's kind of reflecting the vibe of where you guys are currently at? Yeah, I think so. I We have a lot of songs that we've played hundreds and hundreds of times, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we have these new songs that we've played 11 times. And the, <laughs> the, 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 comfortabil- the amount of comfortable... I don't know if there's like a comfortable index for musicians or something like that, some kind of way to, but it's just, it's a totally different game for both. Like on a, on a song we played a thousand times, we will literally improv every single section of that song. Mm. And everybody's happy doing it that way. And everybody's very comfortable. Yeah. On the new songs, if somebody decides to improv every section, I might be asking myself, like, are they, do I not know how to play the song? Do, are they confused? Like, what is going on here? So mm. there's a whole nother level of, you know, have we practiced this enough and where are we? And so we just decided to play the new songs all the time to try and get through that. And it's been really fun because we get to play all these new fresh songs. And I think that fun atmosphere in the band is translating to the audience as well. Yeah, I mean, I can't <clears throat> I can't attest to that, like what it was like before. I, I just know what it is like right now. But you guys go into yeah. the show talking about we're going to do the new stuff, but we can also sort of improvise it and create a different type of vibe do you talk about that we we try and keep the new stuff on high rotation we also listen to the fans a lot and take a lot of requests Mm. so a lot of the songs that we're playing that are not the new songs are often requests so somebody's like Uh, i'm going to the show it's my hundredth show i really want to hear this song yeah we'll play that song for them on that night Oh, cool. Um, I want to say you shouted somebody out with that at the Riv. Uh, maybe, maybe I'm getting the shows mixed up. But anyway. Uh, totally possible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It might have been a birthday for somebody or something like that. Yeah, totally Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you, you like to respond to fans' requests. That's, that's nice. That's admirable. Yeah, we're not playing a set like along with the track the firework you know there's no a lot of bands nowadays are very very programmed where every moment of their set they know what it's going to be before they even get on the tour they know what every moment of every set is going to be we don't really do that at all if we do do triggering and sequencing and stuff like that it's all done by us live in the moment Mm. and we have so we can create those scenarios but we don't have them pre-tracked and pre-created in some office somewhere or studio somewhere. So we're walking on stage every night with a fresh blank piece of paper of what we're going to play. Mm. And we're have just it, filling in every night. Have you 
received criticism as to that because I know dance music and I'm not criticizing it. I just want, I want to explore it a little bit, but you know, dance music can be recorded and there's somebody up, you've done DJ sets. You did a recent one with in front of Frasco that I want to like to talk about because you said some interesting things about it, but the, you know, you can get up there and you know, I, I, I find it um, it's different than what I'm usually used to, you know, there's a, somebody standing behind a console and they're twi- t- turning a bunch of buttons and playing, I guess, recorded tracks. I'm, I'm not even sure exactly how it works, but is, is your, um, is the vibe that you want to get out there and, and create that in the moment, something that, um, is a, is a reaction to what people generally talk about or possible criticisms of, of dance music or electronica? I think that's where it's where we came from in the jam world. Mm-hmm. You know, we come from a world of rotating set lists, different shows every night, different songs bust out, um, all the jam band stuff that the Dead did for years, Fish did for years, uh, the new jam bands all do it. Every, everybody in the scene seems to do those couple of characteristics with the set list. You, you'll never see a jam band go out and play one set exactly the same order for, let's say, a three-week tour. I don't think yeah, that's for ever sure. happened. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so it's kind of part of the ethos that we come from, where tomorrow the, shets, the shows or the song selection and everything is totally different from last night and potentially different from every other show we've ever played. Yeah. So there's a lot of that in what we do. We do take a lot from dance music as far as how we're jamming, what we're playing, what we think is cool, stuff like that. We do mix a lot of that in, but we don't do, um, you know, what you might say, like, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's a lot of big name DJs that just like can't afford to go on stage and wing it, you know, cause they're on mm. stage in front of a hundred thousand people. And if, and there's just like the, a lot of DJs on Tomorrowland and stuff like that, where they just they don't, they're they're like super perfectionists, and that's kind of part of their craft. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, we, yeah. we just we're not from that ethos of music. Yeah, not taking anything away from what they do. Just curious about how yeah. you guys are doing. I mean, I saw Aaron um, keep on keys, just working it up there, and I was really sort of listening to him and how he's creating this dance, this electronica feel and beat. But it appeared that he was doing it in the moment and then adding keys and adding texture and then sort of combining that with everything you guys are doing. It was it was really cool. And you got lasers. I mean, you got lasers, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we uh we just brought the lasers back. They're back in the setup. We t- we left them out for the pandemic because it was a it was a big pain in the butt to get them shipped and everything. <laughs> and um and we kind of left them off the, the docket for a little while. We just brought them back. Everybody is psyched about the lasers. It was fun. Which is, I, I which was is, back. I, was I think back it's pretty the, wild. I was back on that one. I was above the floor for the first set, that one rail that's like back a little bit where people are standing, uh, sort of overlooking, right in front, overlooking the pit. And it was like sort of just right above my eye level. So it was it was, it was was a cool yeah. place to be. Yeah. Um, it's a dangerous spot for them. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I don't want to take one in the eye, so <laughs> I guess I don't know. Can that like blind you or something? I don't know. I don't know. I don't. No, know. no, no, no. I didn't. We sign. wish they could. The early ones, you. We wish they could blind you. We we try and buy the most powerful ones possible. Oh, oh, that's but a they, thing. I think that's they a make thing, them. Huh? Oh, they know the people who rent the lasers are aware of the, all these rules. They have all sorts of rules that 
that they don't tell the guitar players about. Oh, like what? 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 Clue me in. I think that like where the lasers point in the room, there's rules. What kind of lasers you can put in the room, there are rules. How many lasers you can use, there are rules. Where the lasers need to be on stage, there are rules. Um, like a lot union of stuff safety where, rules or something like that? To, what is that about? Stuff like that, yeah, oh, for okay. sure. Yeah, okay. oh, Venue, government, safety rules that I think is, you know... They don't. They, I'm a guitar player. They just don't tell me that kind of stuff. But I know that there have been lasers that we've rented through the years where they're like, "Don't look at it. Don't look at that laser." But the ones we use now are a more modern lo- laser that is a little friendlier to people and also is better than the previous laser, anyways. So interesting. Nice. It does all sorts of colors now and splits into ten. And I like the you can splitting draw thing. things with it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty wild now. They're very advanced now. Really, yeah, really, really cool. Um, wanted to talk a little bit about the your your background. I mean, did you come from this electronica world? Were you super into this? You guys all met at University of uh, at Penn, University of Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Uh, apparently, from my understanding, was that is that a, a vibe that you were had always been into? Like, tell me a little bit about how you got into this electronica thing. Well, I lived in like a really weird house with a bunch of people who weren't from America. So I was the only person ah. from America in the house that I lived in just randomly. Oh, cool. And they were into all sorts of different international music. Mm-hmm. They were not into anything that I listened to. And they they never even heard of like the Grateful Dead. They never even heard of the Grateful Dead before. And so I was in this in this place with them where I was like, well, this is what I'm listening to. And they're like, well, this is what we're listening to. And I ended up basically spending all those years of college where I like, you know, we never went to class. We were on tour the whole time um, trying to do that whole thing. And then I would go to like, you know, all the parties and stuff like that, hang out with people. And they would play me all these different kinds of music. It was crazy how much different Mm. stuff that I listened to in those years. Mm. Because I was also in Philly, which is very jazz. And so I was... And they used to do these things when there was a guy down the street who had a little record store. It was like his record store. And it was like what would be a juice bar today. And you went into this record store and he had four, three or four just stools and a little table. And on top of there was like a CD player and a pair of headphones. And you could sit there and you could just be like, give me that CD, give me that CD. And then he would put it on the CD player and you would just sit there and listen to it. And then he would talk to you about it because he had listened to every single CD in his whole store. <laughs> and that was mostly jazz. It was mostly jazz records. So I was kind of fortunate enough to have this situation where I could sit down and listen to every Coltrane album. I could listen to every Miles Davis album. I could mm. listen to old stuff from the 40s. I could listen to stuff from the 70s. I could listen to everything, every Herbie Hancock album. And I used to sit there and just like hang out and listen to music and wow, do whatever, you know. And that was an amazing. It's kind of I mean, you could do that on Spotify nowadays, but back then that was a really hard thing to come. Yeah. And being from like kind of like I grew up in kind of a rural place, so there was there's none of that out there, you mm. know. It was like there was no record store filled with every great jazz album in the world, where, yeah. you know. So it was interesting being in Philadelphia that I had this house filled with, you know, European, Asian guys who loved dance and music. <coughs> Excuse me. 
And then I had a, and then like literally one block down the street, I had the ability to listen to every jazz record on the planet. Mm. And that that was an incredible combination for me. Yeah, yeah, that's <clears throat> really interesting. Is that kind of where you get, what, what about, t- t- talk to me about your love of Frank Zappa. I, I love Frank Zappa. I, I've, I've had every, I've had like a, <clears throat> sorry about that. Um, I don't, you know, Zappa's one of those guys that I wonder if he had like a Robert Hunter in his career, like what would that have done to the kind of music that he was writing? Because he was so capable of writing so, you know, very intense and deep music. But then he, he hits these moments that are just absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. And, and he's got a lot of them. He's got a lot of records with a lot of moments that are just incredible. And for him, he goes in and out of the moment into some incredible collage of fantastic, amazing music. And then he goes back to the moment, like Sofa Number 2 or something like that. So mm-hmm. really obscure Zappa where that might happen. And, you know, I always wondered, like, what would happen if you just took that moment and wrote, like, a beautiful Jack Straw type of lyrical thing on top of it? What kind of song would you get then? When you say the moment, do you, you know, mean, that, like, the the riff of the song, the the kind of yeah, the theme, like the, the theme like of the, the... Yeah, he comes in and out of the riffs that really hold the song together and then just fucking yeah. goes into outer space a couple times, yeah. Yeah, for like Frank, it's like the part of the song that's actually in 4-4, like that's the right. part I'm talking about. Right. Yeah, yeah, And I then he that. goes to some other world <laughs> right. where you're just like, why did he do that is what I was asked myself a lot because, you know, it's so uh, off the chain. He gets so off the chain so so quickly. And nobody can write music like that anymore. Like no, nobody's ever done it since. So he definitely had his his uh, world and his niche, and he's got so much music that nobody's ever listened to, which is insane to me. Like, he has so much atonal music and just different stuff that is really hard to find. Yeah, when it's I was looking up trans, incredible. When I was looking up um, uh, transfusion or not trans transfusion, the the Sapa album. Um, that is just a compilation of all his guitar solos live. Like uh, it was just absolutely extraordinarily out there and cohesive, but crazy. And just his ability to just pull all of those elements together is just mind blowing. It's mind boggling. Um, did uh, tell me about like early on with the band it, at, at Penn, you guys are playing bars in France, sort of what did that, what did that kind of look like early in the band's development? We were the, uh, the band on campus that wasn't, the bands on campus were playing ska and pop music, mm-hmm. 90s rock and ska was very popular at yeah. the time. So Big it was shocker. a bunch of ska bands. Yeah. The horn For me, it was 80s stuff. rock at ska. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and they would you know the ska bands were great i but they were all like doing like very it would they were bands in in a sense they they played a song together that was played a certain way and they did it at every party that they went to and then we would show up and play all songs that we wrote ourselves that had huge jam sections in it and you never knew what was what and we just did our own thing from the jump and we did that basically as a headlining act all the way from 10 people to, you know, wherever we've been through our career. 
So we just did that from the beginning, and we just kept doing that and kept doing that. And you guys were getting traction playing your own songs in that environment. That's that's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah, and all the other all the other bands were, were literally hated us. They hated us. Hated you? Why? <laughs> I don't know. Apart from I the fact get that you were probably better than them. <laughs> I don't know. They just. They all were very much caught in like a song has to sound a certain way. And, you know, we were doing different kinds of American rock and roll and dance music. And we were approaching it like a bunch of jazz guys. Mm. And we were mixing those three things together. And to us, it seemed natural because we were listening to a lot of dance music, listening to a lot of jazz. And we all knew basically American rock music, like the back of our hands. So it was easy to mix those three things. But to other people, it was like, how did you do that? How are you playing techno music? How are you, why aren't you playing the song anymore? How do you know where you are? There's a lot of stuff like that. Yeah, it's an extraordinary mix to be able, it's almost like a left brain, right brain thing to be able to do electronica and more sort of exotic kind of beats, if you will, uh, for lack of a better word, but, um, and have that American lexicon of music as well at your fingertips. That's, that's, that's beautiful, man. Yeah, it's, it's pretty much, uh, you know, I mean, a lot, a, there's a lot of bands and a lot of musicians, and I feel like, at the professional level, they they all can pretty much do that. It's pretty much a primary skill for being in the music industry. And it's amazing how many cats there are in the scene, especially nowadays, that are just amazing at, at shifting genres so drastically between, you know, hip hop and, you know, we don't really do bluegrass, but there's a lot of people who play excellent bluegrass. Mm-hmm. And then there's, you know, everybody does rock a little bit and everybody understands their jazz stuff. It's it's an incredible world right now, musically. People are making a lot of great music. Yeah. And even classical as well. That album uh, of live classical music standards is is extraordinary. Classical set, it was called. Wow. Just fantastic. Oh, man. yeah. Bravo. Yeah. yeah. We used to do classical songs all the time. Uh, I used to really like to do them because I used to like digging into the arrangements because there's always cool, interesting ways that those old school composers would put stuff together. Mm-hmm. For instance, their bass lines are just crazy whack. You know what I mean? It's just like, what kind of bass line is that? Because no one was dancing to the music. So the bass was a totally different function of instrument. Yeah, they just and it I was just set just, free like, from those constraints. Yeah, it was like <laughs> this weird second melodic thing that... You know, so I used to we used to laugh at some of the lines. Like we took a Beethoven piece apart, and we played it as a band, and the bass lines were hilarious. And then you would play them, and you'd be like, "Wow, this is crazy genius! Like crazy genius!" <laughs> so we had a lot of fun with that stuff. Yeah, clearly. I mean, it was um, uh, just ex- it's it's extraordinary stuff. Um, so. You're the first person I've had on the show that's actually played at Wetlands as early as, like, I think it was 1996, I think was like your first show at Wetlands. Talk to me about, which is, of course, um, famous jam club down in, uh, in, was in Tribeca. I had Peter Shapiro on the show. We talked quite a bit about Wetlands. Um, and oh, nice. uh, he, yeah, he took over ownership of that uh, around that time, I think, or possibly a couple of years earlier. Um, talk to me about what that experience yes. was and how was that after you guys were in? Like, how did where did that fit into your timeline of, of Penn and, and what was that like playing in Wetlands? Well, obviously, Wetlands was the North Star show for us. Mm. 
You know, we could we could go fi- around Philly and play all the places, but like you wanted to play the wetlands. The bands we were seeing were all playing the wetlands. You know, the bands we liked were all playing there. And so we would like drop tapes off there all the time. My bass player uh, grew up right around the corner from the wetlands, so he he was very aware of it. And uh, we used to go up there, drop off tapes. We used to promote other New York shows to the mm. wetlands crowd, you know, hand out flyers and stuff just so the club knew we were in the world. And then once we started playing wetlands, I think we sold out more wetlands shows than any other band, and then they closed it down. So we basically would go there all the time and play it. And there wasn't a great club above wetlands when we were playing wetlands. There wasn't a great 2,500 seater. There was Roseland, which is no longer a venue, but Roseland had its problems. And then there wasn't terminal five yet. There wasn't Hammerstein yet. Um, There wasn't, you know, New York was kind of a theater town and not a club town. Um, you had some dance clubs and stuff, but they couldn't do bands in them. So we we used to just do do like three, four nights in a row at Wetlands and just sell them all out and mm. just do that thing. The crowd was comfortable there. We were comfortable there. Pete would always be able to talk us into doing stuff like that. Uh, we loved Pete. You know, we I mean, we still love Pete, but at the time, like Pete was a very unique and interesting club owner for us because he was like kind of similar age to us and really, really got what we were trying to do and was just in like a really a very supportive of us as a band and to allow us to, you know, play a lot of shows, play late, play till five in the morning if we wanted to, like all mm-hmm. sorts of things that we couldn't do anywhere else Pete would let us do in New York. Yeah. And so you're saying there wasn't like another place to level up in in New York at the time, sort of what you played other, talk to me a little bit about early touring that uh, around that time period, or was that kind of what you were doing? You were doing Philly, New York, um, up and down the coast a little bit. Well, we jumped up to Red La- to Roseland in two thousand and one, I think um, two thousand two thousand one, and I think they had just opened the club up for those kind of things when we did. Uh, bef- so from ninety six to two thousand, it really wasn't too many places to play, and they were all super expensive. Like you could play the Beacon. But it was a very, very expensive room. And a lot of promoters didn't want to take the risk of going into that room, you know, and, you know, with an unproven band like us. And, mm. you know, they would go in there with the Almond Brothers, who were, yeah. you know, yeah. in, in year 50 of their incredible <laughs> career, you know, <laughs> right. they would go in there with bands like that. But they weren't taking younger bands up that way. Eventually, we broke through and made it into Roseland and then went up from there. And once we did well at Roseland, then suddenly we were able to play all those other rooms. Um, but it was it was definitely a there wasn't really a great promoter or path through in those years. Yeah, interesting. Um, I mean, and, and sort of makes me think of sort of the, the the emphasis on live performance that you guys had had from the from from the from the get go. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but was there? your original album in 1996 encephalus crime and then is that yeah. is that correct yeah then the follow up was not until 2009 am i getting that right oh no no there was a couple albums there was in there, a couple yeah. albums in there okay all right yeah you're missing the mega force releases which uh, it's it's hard when you have like a record company that 
that signs you to a contract and then just like doesn't really like play by the rules, I guess, or doesn't join the team or whatever. So they have three records of ours, but like who knows where those records are? Like, who oh, knows I what see. Doing yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you scra- you got to scratch a little deeply to get in there. So I wasn't that far off. Yeah, they're around somewhere. They're around somewhere. But the 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 main owners of the record label, I think that Johnny Zazula was the main owner. I think he passed away recently. And uh, he wrote mm. a book. He said some nice things about us in the book. And we saw him at a show a while ago. And he seemed like in good spirits and stuff like that. Yeah. But I mean, he was Metallica's old manager, so he lived through some some real stuff. Yeah, right. Well, fast forwarding to kind of around today and uh, your latest album, Another Plan of Attack. And, and yeah, well, the album's going to be called Revolution in Motion, Space Opera, and Another Plan of Attack is like the smaller release to Spotify that we're doing to drop some singles. Gotcha. And you know, and basically. Uh, we're going to drop it in April and May, upcoming this year, depending on if I can get all of our mixes done in January, which uh-huh. seem to be on schedule for, but you never know. And if they get done by the end of January, it'll be out in April. If not, it'll be out in May. And then all the songs are done. We play them all live right now, so they're all in pretty good shape. So the, the fans who go to the shows have heard them all. Everybody's super excited about it. And yeah, it's maybe the best album we've ever made. A lot right of people on. are saying that yeah. it has like a, a vibe to it that is solid. Yeah, yeah. So the the LP, the <clears throat> album that's going to be released is going to include all the material that's already released. Is it going to be the same title? Yeah. Okay. It's going to be called Revolution in Motion, and it's basically a space opera. So it's an, it's kind of like a rock opera type of thing. Space but it takes stuff. place in outer space, and there's characters and there's storyline and everything. It kind of works together, and you know we probably have we play the songs so often that if you you know people get familiar with the lyrics and stuff like that, and they they were telling us what the story was before we even release a story. They everybody figured it out, which we thought was crazy. <laughs> so what is the story briefly? Well, briefly, the story is there is an alien race where they are basically a, a species that's that's uh, made out of electricity. I mean, if you think about humans, humans are made out of water, right? They're mostly water, and, you know, there's the whole... I mean, I think humans are mostly water. I, I, I might be wrong. I'm not an expert, but seems like the case. Yeah. And then, and these are mostly like these aliens are actually made out of electricity. So they're like a different species. They come from a different world. They don't have hands, and they do have like the ability to like see. They have eyes and stuff, and they do have a physical manifestation of themselves like humans do. And they are flying. Then, and the estranged son of the kingdom is flying around the galaxy and he's supposed to bring back some supplies and stuff and he just basically loses it and goes out for a huge joyride and gets lost and he uh slips into this like wormhole like thing because they're just losing their minds and trying to and not trying to get anywhere and they end up in this wormhole and they end up in our solar system and they find earth and they uh freeze They do this thing called a freeze, which is where you basically pause time on on the planet. And they do it in this cone on top of Manhattan during New Year's, during New Year's Eve. And the Biscuits are playing 
what is, I guess, it used to be the Nokia Theater. I, I don't know what theater is now. It used to be Best Buy. And it's the underground, underground theater in, in Times Square that the Biscuits have played so many times uh-huh. over New Year's. And so they freeze Manhattan. They go down to take specimens and see who these people are. And they do it on New Year's Eve because there's all these people there. And they're like, oh, right, perfect. Right, right, right. We'll go down. We'll pick. And when they freeze Manhattan, the freeze doesn't go deep enough to get the theater that we're in. And we finish our show and go up above ground. And we're like, what is going on here? And they see that we're moving around. And we end up getting taken onto this spaceship. <laughs> Wait, hold on, and John. Then, this is the brief version, right? This is a brief version. Yeah, yeah okay. I, I'll tighten it up. So, yeah, yeah, so basically, they see that we have. I mean, it's a long story. It's a trip. So, what happens? Out. So, you it's guys, like what do tr- you get? You get onto the spaceship. What the fuck happens at that point? Well, we play music, and so when we play music, the whole ship, ra- uh, the electricity of their whole existence <laughs> rattles with the music, and they love it. And then we have these hands. And they see the hands, and they love that. And they oh, see how yeah. we use the hands to make this music, and we love that. So they concoct a plan where they're going to get themselves out of the doghouse for parading for getting lost in the galaxy by yeah. bringing us back and having us demonstrate this thing called music with hands to the uh, queen who runs the show over there. And basically, we do that, and we play a couple of songs that are, you know. At towards the end of the space opera, and we convince the queen to free Earth and not use Earth as some kind of you know mineral deposit or something like that. And we save the planet. You save the and planet. And we also share music with the galaxy. Fantastic, man. Sci-fi. You're a sci-fi happens. fan, obviously. And then at the very end, we wrestle with when we get back to Earth, what year is it going to be? Is it going to be 3,026? So the the last song of the space opera is us trying to figure out like what where are we going when we go home, and so there's a little bit of the, a little poignance at the end there, and maybe uh, it's called to be continued. I don't know what we're gonna do if we and, like and this is not the first rock opera that you've uh, that you've composed, right? You, you you did a couple of these prior. Yeah, we've done. I've done a bunch of series of songs. I did a rock opera called Hot Air Balloon in '99. Um, Mark and I wrote a rock opera called Chemical Warfare Brigade. That was, you know, mostly Mark. I wrote a song or two for it in like 2000, 2001. And this, I really like song series. Is I like having stuff to write about that is kind of a little bit more on the fiction side of things than on the nonfiction side of things. Mm. Obviously we write a lot of songs. We write plenty of nonfiction songs, but there's a lot it's just cool to be able to get lost in this world. It's really fun to write music for that scenario. I really like that. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of why we were making the space operas because we came up with the story and I was just like all the music that I was writing it had such a galaxy space feel to it if you heard the new songs they're all very much kind of right in this vein so it came together pretty quickly once we decided to do it yeah do you have plans on playing this thing through it just feels like something that you know people would show up for to hear the whole album yeah we'll probably play it through when we release the album in april or may we'll probably do like uh two nights at the met in philadelphia i think was being talked about where we'll play it you know, each night it might not be possible to play it all in one night because it is there's a lot of music. So maybe we like 
jam it out a little bit and yeah. space it out, or maybe we do one set, you know, set and a half on, and you know, we'll figure that out. One set, a half of it first night, second set, the second yeah. half the next night, yeah. and then the second sets are like you know, fan favorites or your favorites, something like that. But totally, uh, totally. brings to mind Iceland. What an amazing place to play this. Well, that's a possibility. That's a possibility. Uh, you guys are playing Iceland, Iceland is, uh, what, May, three nights, the May 22nd through, or 20th through the 22nd. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. You've been there be before? Wild. I mean, I th I've never been there. Uh-huh. Neither this have I. This would be a first time for me. Bands are going yeah, over I, there now. People... Green, Green Sky Bluegrass just announced a couple dates over there, too. Yeah. Just like... Yeah, there's some there's some music minded investors over there who are making these things happen, and they're bringing all the bands over and uh -huh. building the venues and getting the community involved and the hotels. And they're just there's a couple, uh, you know, entrepreneurs who are making this whole thing happen. Yeah, yeah, like a couple uh, like promoter. It's being promoted by bands that want to bring bands over from America. I haven't really dug into that world yet. Oh, we've been doing that forever. I feel like that's something that. Our band really started pioneering. We were one of the first cruise bands, and we were definitely the first band to do island destination playing, which everybody does now, the Mexico mm. things that everybody does. Yeah. So we were we started all that back in the day uh, for this new generation. You know, mm -hmm. obviously they did it in the 60s. Hendrix did it. Yeah. You know, they did the, the – there's definitely been a bunch of that over the years. The Dead went to Egypt. But then it sort of went away. I mean, there was all these bands in the 90s that were just like, we're going to play our hits and we're going to play it in your local arena and then we're going to go to the next one. And it wasn't so community-based and it was very hit-based. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the younger bands like us that grew up in a Napster generation where like hits were kind of out of the question, record labels, record deals were very much out of the question unless you wanted to like be like a Creed type of band. You know, there was yeah. there was very little to do. There was very little business to have, to be to make. You know, there you couldn't really find buyers for your studio work and stuff like that. So, so even if you limited it to three minutes, there just weren't a lot of buyers. Yeah. So it just it seemed like building a community was a way more pleasing and fun thing to do. And so we really leaned into that. Yeah. So if you were at the forefront of that wave, tell me a little bit about that progression and what that looked like for you. When was the first time that you guys created something that was a sort of a destination concert uh, experience? Well, we did the boat and we didn't like, I didn't like the boat because I was too big for the bed. <laughs> very, and I very good reason. sleep. Couldn't sleep. Yeah. And then because I couldn't sleep, I couldn't rest my voice. Mm. And I couldn't sing because I couldn't sleep. And I was just like, I don't want to do that anymore. Yeah. Can we just go to the... And I was like, can we just go to the island? I said, you guys take the boat to the island and I'll be on the island. <laughs> and then I'll play when you guys get there. Right. And then they were like, well, what do we need the boat for? And I was like, we don't need the boat. You guys are the ones who are insisting on the boat. Yeah. And then we did it without the boat, and we did it with Umphreys McGee. That was the first of the holidays shows. And then we did the holidays successfully for three years, and then in year four, everybody did it. Now everybody does it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so interesting. I mean, those are I, – I, I totally get that vibe of that particular your, – your fan base is just ones that are like – 
really inclusive and want to bring everybody in. I really, I felt that love, uh, at the show, uh, at the, on the second set, I went down, I was hanging out in the pit kind of on your side of the stage. And that was, that was really great. People like to talk a lot and they're definitely partying and having a really good time, but they were at the same time, they weren't losing sight of what was happening. The vibe that you were creating up on stage was really being, uh, reflected back out. It was, it was, it was just absolutely, um, so much fun. And, um, I wanted to talk about the the COVID period and you guys apparently had been gaining a ton of traction coming up to that period and then kind of COVID hit and, you know, that affected so many artists in so many different ways, some positive, some not so, so incredibly positive, but also you became a dad during that time. And, uh, yes. if I'm, if I'm, if I'm, not mistaken. Uh, tell me what that's like for you and how that's kind of affected your life and the, the professional side of your musicianship and touring and, and whatnot. Well, I mean, COVID was a disaster for everybody. All musicians are included very heavily in that statement because, you know, everybody's salary went to zero. I mean, basically everybody in the music business got fired on the same day. Um, yeah. And that was really bad. I feel bad about a lot of things that happened. Um, I feel like we were able to survive, thank God. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of people who didn't. And it, it was very sad for me. Mm. And I wasn't a big fan of the COVID situation and how crazy the country was during it. And oh, yeah. It, 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 was very, it was very hard, especially for the musicians who, like, you know, you know, well, how do you pay your rent when that kind of thing happens? Absolutely. And, and it, was, it was definitely a, a bummer. And for me, that was all wrapped up inside of having this like tiny little baby. And I've never been in a house with a baby before. I've never spent a minute with a baby. I was the youngest kid. You know, they say like musicians are always like the 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 person in the family who's going to be a musician is the kid who spends a lot of time by themselves. You mm. know, because you got to really hang out with your instrument and play a lot. Yeah, and and like th hear the music in your head and do all these imagination things to get really good at it. And so I was that kid in my family where I just like, they didn't even know I was there. They were, I was like, I was like in the corner by myself for weeks. I used to just, get, I got my own food for, starting at a very young age. And yeah. the second I learned how to get up my own food, they just like literally forgot about me entirely. And that was good. Cause I developed a real good sense of music and stuff like that. But I'd never been around a younger child. I never had a little brother or a little sister. I never had any younger siblings in any sense. Nieces Definitely and nephews? Definitely not in my house. I have some nieces and nephews, but they were young when I was on tour, and I really didn't see them a lot in those uh, yeah. years. I see mm -hmm. them a lot now, but I didn't see them a lot when they were three, mm -hmm. which I regret now that I'm, you know, I have my own kid a little bit. So I had my own kid during the pandemic, and um, and I just didn't know kids were so awesome. I, I really recommend, you know, if you can have a kid, you should. They're really, really great. They're they're little like unconditional love machines. Yeah, right. And um, and I I really like it. I mean, me and the kid get along great, and I I just like playing all the same games that he does. So we get along really well because I'm I'm into we're we're into the same stuff. You yeah, I mean? well, you like, realize like how much of a kid you really are when you have a kid. Yeah, you know. I know, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. How old is he? Right now, he's almost three. Uh huh. So he's been, you know, he was born the week after the pandemic 
No, no. The the pandemic was March. So he was born, and then a week later, everyone in my industry, including me, got fired. Yeah. So it was it was very stressful for me at first because I was like, kind of a bad time to lose your whole salary and your whole career and your whole business. You know, when you have this suddenly this mouth to feed, right? And and it's our. You know, I had to. I didn't. You know, I don't know how many people out. How many of your listeners have kids? Probably a bunch, but. You really got to buy a lot of stuff. You really got to get, you oh, know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just to get started, you, you like got to load up on all the fucking gear. I mean, then you got to, you, you got to feed this thing too, I think. I got three you kids. Feed I got, I got I, three kids myself. Like <laughs> I, my kids are older, but yeah, I've been there. I mean, look, you can't put the kid in the car without a device. You can't bring the kid to the park without a device. You can't take the kid through an airport without a device. You definitely can't bring a kid on tour without a number of devices. You can't do anything without this litany of plastic stuff Yeah, that I didn't even know any, I didn't even know what any of this stuff was. People are using word, like the word swaddle, I did not know that word until I was <laughs> doing my first swaddle. So I, I was very green on the child thing. But you know what I like about my kid is even though I was very green about parenting and what I'm doing and yeah. all this stuff, he never held it against me. You never, never what? Sorry. Ne my kid never held it against me. Though. Oh, I had no well, idea what I was doing. Dude, he's only three. Just wait. You talked about unconditional, lo <laughs> unconditional love. Hold on to that notion, that very naive notion you have that they're all about unconditional <laughs> love, okay? Because like, and then I'm, right. I'm going to check back with you, John, in about 10 years when he becomes 13, <laughs> and then we'll see if you still share that, if you still have that opinion. I um yeah I, we should check in, in in ten years and see how I feel about. That. I mean I'm I have a dog and I can definitely tell you that that's that's an unconditional love machine. <laughs> <laughs> I've had dogs before, you know. I love dogs, um, but the kid is is very different in a weird way than having a dog because of the whole, um, you know, it gets more and more human every yeah. day i was gonna say the whole human they're different than dogs you know the whole yeah. human thing yeah yeah oh, the whole like speaking to you thing and and having an idea of what they're saying thing is interesting yeah i mean don't get me wrong i i, lo I love kids in general and i i think they're it's it's just absolutely wonderful i'm just the cynical dad that's like been around the block on three different occasions with three different kids <laughs> and separate personalities. And, and now they're older and my youngest is 17 and is about to graduate from high school. Um, yeah, it's a road. Congrats. Thanks, man. Thanks. Um, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a long road. What about touring? Like, so you're out on tour. Uh, tell me about what your feelings are just about being out there without, without him and um and what's that look like for you obviously you're a professional musician you got to go on the road you gotta you gotta do your thing um how has that we changed really how's done, that changed for you we haven't done the big tour with the bus yet mm -hmm. uh we're, we're kind of waiting for me to like feel like we have enough songs to do that which is wrapped up in my mind in the album and i think a lot mm -hmm. of the guys in the band are like you know it's time so in the near future, there's going to be some big Disco Biscuit tours. And I mean, if, if I remember correctly, like the band gets really good on those big tours. The band gets really good when night after night we're, we're doing all this jamming and all this loose improv quote unquote stuff that is um, difficult to do when you're seeing each other during a pandemic and you're 
not able to really get in the same room. Mm. But when we get on tour, I mean, look out. This band is good. This band is incredible, and we are in a pandemic still as far as weekends go. When we get on tour, it's going to be insane, the kind of music that we're going to play, because everybody is really good right now. Everybody did a lot of practicing during the pandemic, and we're just like, the band is on a really great level. So that's great. The way I'm dealing with the kid and tours, I just bring them with me a lot. Mm. I bring, you know, I bring my my girl, my kid. They come with me. We do. They stay at the hotel. They do what they got to do. As far as you know, maybe I got dragged to a yoga class the other day. I mean, I got mm-hmm. sometimes you got to wake up early and take care of the kid when you just played a concert the night before, and uh, you know that stuff can be very frustrating. But I just I just don't allow that stuff to bother me. I wake up and it's you know this morning I woke up at. Seven o'clock. I was up till five in the mo- four in the morning last night, working on stuff. I should have been sleeping to prepare for this interview, but I was working. Unfortunately, <laughs> you could have fooled me, man. Nervous you seem pretty, energy. You seem pretty sharp. I think you've been. I've been I think you've done this before. <laughs> but I woke up at seven, and I just like you know, on a level, you got to just slug a cup of coffee and and uh, and just be you know enjoy it. I don't know. I don't know. And I feel like tours the same way. I bring the kids with me and I just deal with the dual issue of playing rock concerts and then turning around and being like a dad a couple hours later. Yeah. What does that look like for you? Tell me about that transition from how you, what you, you're in it, man. You're feeling it. I mean, that's what coffee's for for me. You know, I don't really need coffee in my life. I'm a musician. Like nobody cares if I work tomorrow or not. It's totally up to me, you know, but. I do need a coffee in the morning to to deal with, you know, Spunkmeister 3000 and all the things that he wants to do. He wants to go upstairs and get cheese. He wants to go downstairs and see his thing. He wants to go upstairs and move something across the room. He wants to go back down. I got to carry him up and down the stairs 15 <laughs> times from 7 to 7.43 in the morning. And then I got to get him dressed, which is a war. Right. And then I got to get him to school. And um, <laughs> This is great. You know? I love this. that's my life you know and that's uh i don't know i'm really enjoying it it doesn't it doesn't i just really enjoy it i don't know why i don't know why it's um i mean i would you know because it's your kid and you love him and like you're 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 (laughs) in it you know like there's a there's a human being that depends on you for its very existence and that's um and when it's it's just um it's wonderful. I I miss those times a lot. Like I'm I'm ready for my my oldest is 25. She can have a kid whenever she wants. I'm ready. Let's do it. <laughs> Get ready. <laughs> I it's grandpa am, time. Yeah, I'm ready to do it again. <laughs> I I don't like that word. It freaks me out. But you know that word really? when your kids have kids, that thing where I just get a bonus. I get a bonus kid. So. Well, I can't even believe, like I get what you're saying that the word freaks you out. Like I can't even think of myself with that word. But I mean, I'm 20 years away from it now, you know, I'm going to have that word. And uh, yeah, it's weird, though. It's weird, like going. The weird thing about being the weirdest thing about being a musician is you kind of freeze in your own mind at whatever year of musicianship you picture in your own mind. Like a lot of these guys are 27 in their own mind for their whole life. Yeah, right. What's What's your number? I don't know. I don't know if it's a number, but it's just like, you know, how from like 25 to 35, you just are the same age pretty much. 
pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm I'm still in that era in my own mind. I'm still in that decade of age in my own mind. Yeah, is that do Do you really think you are, or do you think that the way you think now couldn't? Po- How old are you now, John? I'm 48 right now. So wait, so do you think that is it? Is it because maybe people think like I'm 59? Like I think like I feel in my mind I'm like digging stuff and loving stuff and following passions and dreams and cool shit that I love to do and being able to do this podcast and, and, and talk to artists and performers. And like, this is a thing that is like a, in the, of a, of a 25 or 30 year old, like I, I'm 59 and doing this Yeah, The fuck you're not. I am 59. Right. So yeah. is it something where you think like you should be of that certain age? Like, you know, I'm glad that I'm the age that I'm at. It represents a life and experiences that I've had up to this point, but it's just a youthful mentality. Like that just, you feel vibrant. You feel like you're alive. Yeah, I totally, I, I don't know what it is. I, I feel like I just don't feel that old. I just don't, I, I just don't feel as old as I thought I would feel when I'm this age. And uh, I don't know if, I mean, maybe our generations and the couple younger generations are like going to live to 120. Maybe it's possible. Mm. I don't know if it's possible that you could be in a touring band, (laughs) had the life that I've had and live past 65. But, um, you know, it might there might be a couple one twenties in the bunch, a couple one twenty fives. Might not be so weird. I feel like that, and we have a saying for it: the whole like thirties, the new forty, forties. Like the yeah, society right, 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 has right. come up with a whole saying to explain the situation, and the situation is basically that everybody feels really young, and everybody is. I don't know. Maybe it's the food. Maybe it's the dentist having. You know what? What's the difference between now and? 70 years ago when 60 was really old back then you know and now healthcare advances in technology and medical technology you know and go get your medical checkups and figure out if there's something wrong with you that needs to be addressed to get it addressed those kind of things people are just living longer i think eating better perhaps exercising more there's a little bit more awareness i don't know yeah maybe i don't it's weird to me because i don't really i don't take like a pill every day i don't do anything that I think if if this was 1975 I wouldn't be doing. Mm-hmm. I don't know what why I will or would live any longer than I would have lived if it was 30 years earlier. And I, you know, and I don't know what the difference is. Is the is the milk the difference? Is the is the food is the steak different to the point where it's like imparting 10 to 15 years of longevity onto people? I feels confusing to me. I don't quite understand why society as a whole lives longer for, you know, I mean, maybe, I don't, do you understand how confused I am? They're, they're really, yeah, yeah, it doesn't, I do. there I'm, isn't I'm like a pill it. we're taking. Yeah, well, I, I yeah, look well, at my parents when, like, I was looking at pictures of my dad, like, he was like 60 at the time. I'm like, he looked a lot older than I feel right now. But it's also because yeah. I'm who I am now, and I don't know what my dad was thinking at that time. Like, he was probably I mean, do you think it's just like cool widespread and... air conditioning? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> what else could it be? <laughs> yeah. It's all about air conditioning and beds big enough that we can sleep in. Because you're a tall guy, right? right. How tall are you? <laughs> I was 6'4", yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, sushi. 
Sushi is it wasn't a big thing when I was a kid, and now sushi's everywhere. Maybe eating sushi, I don't know. Yeah, who knows? Who it, knows, man? Um, Couchtour.tv, like was that that was a, yes. something that came out of the came out of COVID, and you guys wanted to do streams, and now it's still around. Talk to me a little bit about that. Well, Couchtour TV was a URL that I bought a bunch of years ago because I just like, couldn't believe that it was available. I just oh, couldn't okay. believe that nobody owned it. Yeah. And so I just bought it. I didn't think anything of it. It was like $10 to buy it. I just bought it. And then the pandemic happened. And um, and then we just decided to do live streams so we could... I mean, look, we made like half of the money we made in 2020 was from that website mm. as a band. So it was it was very important for our business and our band to have that site in 2020 because we all made almost no money in 2020, and the little bit of money we did make was made possible because of that site and our fans, obviously, who support us, you know, through thick and thin, and were, would go to that site and try it out. And you know, and we still use that site to this day. I, it's it's, you know, I've been writing a lot of music. I don't really program the computer at any real level. So I basically just use the site because it's up and it works. It's it's a beautiful thing, and I feel a lot of affection towards the fan base for supporting us via that site and giving us a chance to survive the pandemic because of it. Yeah. It has a lot of uh, positive connotations for me. So I feel really good about Couchdoor TV. Um, I think that we could do some really cool things with it and – you know, I just, if I could split into two people, one of me would, would keep doing what I'm doing today, and the other one would work on Couchdoor TV every day and make it pretty solid. So you're uh, streaming the, pushing, you're, sorry, go ahead. I didn't want to interrupt you. Well, we're pushing out an app soon, and I think once we put an app out, it'll feel like a real company to me. Gotcha. So you're, you're and you're streaming the Disco Biscuit show, on, like every show on that channel? Yes, yes. So player.couchdoor.tv, we stream every Disco Biscuit show, and... It's basically these nice onstage cameras that get right up to the players, and we're um, it's just great. And the audio is super high quality. It's the audio stream is really what we care about. So it's like the audio is really high quality, right to your ears, right to your speakers, and it's just an awesome way to stay in with the band. It's really great. That's cool. I'm gonna check. I'm gonna check out a show soon on that. Probably the the Iceland ones if I don't make it out there. Um, uh, and your your show was like the next morning from were from the Riv. Like the next morning, the show was up on Nugs already. How do you turn it around that quickly? Oh yeah, uh, my front of house guy Rich H. Um, he's just a wizard. He's great at front of house. We had a lot of issues at front of house because the band is really hard to mix because there's so much stuff and there's so many different types of instruments. Mm -hmm. There's, you know, guitars with cabinets with microphones in them. There's yeah. synthesizers with the, you know, there's all sorts of drums and just, just really a biscuits are a big sound with a lot of things. And Rich is just a beautiful genius who just takes it all in stride and makes sense out of all of it. And the fans love his mixes. And, you know, the Nugs thing is very important to us because, you know, we've been doing music on Nugs forever. And basically since we started, well, since Nugs started, I guess Nugs started like 2009 or eight or seven even. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been putting music on there since they started. And it's just a, like a big hub for the jam band scene. Uh, and it's hard for us to like 
make sure that Nugs is up to date with what we're doing unless you have someone like Rich who can handle it, no problem. It's just like, you know, some people are real high performers that can just handle stuff and it's not a big deal. Yeah, wow. I mean, and he'll listen to the recording again. He'll listen back before he uploads it or whatever that process looks like. Yeah, he has... um, so he has all sorts of, I mean, I'm sure you could do a podcast with him and he could go into like serious detail about how he does it, yeah. but it isn't the live sound. Just, it's not like a old dead tape where it's like just a, like a soundboard. It's this, it's a whole different mix. It's done in a total, it's recorded to a different place during the show with different effects and different stuff. And then before it goes to Nugs, it's able to be remixed and readjusted and remastered. And I just think the part of the reason he's able to put it up is he's very happy where it is right now and he's very dialed in. So he basically is able to do it without a lot of like remixing and remastering. Gotcha. Gotcha. Like it's a set it and forget it thing for him at this point. You know, he's right. done it. He does it every show. So he's yeah. got it dialed in. Yeah, it's really great. It was really great. Um, the DJ set before uh, before Frasco, and you yeah. said you went on as Baba G. You can explain to me what that means, but you said something really interesting about that, and that was just recently, right? In Philly or something, probably. Um, yeah, yeah. Baba yeah. G is just John Barber got well, like shorted. Oh, okay, okay. John <laughs> right. Barber, mystery, G, John Baba mystery G, solved. Baba G, yeah. <laughs> mystery solved. But you said something that said um, doing that DJ set very much fits my ethos of live improvisation on stage, which I thought was pretty cool. So, how yeah. does that like, and how did it? What what's that? What's that vibe feel like for you? And how is it analogous to what you're doing up on stage when you're with the biscuits? Well, I mean, the big secret with Baba G is I'm not DJing. Uh huh. I'm performing the songs live, just like a really, really fast music producer would. So I'm not playing the drums. I'm taking drum samples and sending them to the crowd and adjusting them on the fly for the parts of the music that they're in. I'm picking bass lines just like I would when I'm producing a new song or something in my studio. And I'm putting them into the mix and adjusting them as the song goes. And I'm basically doing this for like eight or 10 things all at the same time. And I'm kind of juggling all these things. Yeah. And I wrote a bunch of different software programs to help me balance those things in real time. Oh, interesting. And I basically go up there and I'm just, I'm creating like a little bit of an instrument on stage that allows me to perform music entirely on my own with just a computer and some stuff that I did. Wow. Yeah. What is a program? That's, what, what basically, how do you write a program that helps you do what you do? Well, you can't write a music program and also do anything else in your life. You know, anybody, <laughs> you see all the guys who own all the music software companies are like, they all live in a cave somewhere and they just write their software. But you can use, you can buy all the software from those guys and and put it together in a way and then there's some gaps. And then I was able to do some small things here and there with a friend of mine and basically fill in those gaps because they don't make software to do what I'm trying to do. Huh. They don't make, they, nobody makes music the way I'm trying to make music. Nobody does what Baba G does in the entire world. Um, they just, nobody cares. You know, DJs nowadays, they play the two track of the song and the crowd loves it. So there's no need for them to perform the song, you know? 
But for me, I want to be able to jam. I want to be able to change parts of the song without changing the overall song. I want to be able to make a remix on the fly because I'm feeling something, because I'm going for something. Yeah. And I want to be able to go for it, and I want it to be able to work. So I'm trying to build kind of a new approach. Interesting. I like that. I like that. I like that a lot. So you can tweak it as you you can kind of tweak it as you go, how you're feeling, what you think, kind of the vibe that you're feeling from the crowd and kind of analogous to what you guys are doing up on stage as well together as a unit. That's pretty similar to what we're doing. So when you see the biscuits, you don't see us play the, the album, you know, as far as like getting an iPod and just playing that song you know we yeah. perform it for you live and Baba yeah, I'm performing all the songs that I'm playing I'm performing I'm picking the drums on the fly might pick different drums might forget what the right drums are and throw some other drums in there <laughs> just like you would as a real musician you know, yeah just right, as, right. A, as a real player can we find that set anywhere uh, it's on SoundCloud I posted the first set of it on SoundCloud I'm going to post the second set on SoundCloud um when I get when I get to it, it's the holidays. I, I'm probably doing like a week, and then I'm gonna do like a run of shows with Cloudcord in February and Magner. Um, or I'm gonna do them February nine, ten, and eleven. I think it is in the PA New Jersey area. We're gonna do three Baba G Magner Cloudcord shows, and then I'm going to do like twenty nights in a row on YouTube. Oh, cool! With or. And I'm just gonna every night just turn on the thing and just go. Oh, right on. And just see what happens. Like not see, not through Couch Tour. I might do it on Couch Tour, but I just feel like uh, it's not something I would charge for. Right. And Couch Tour is like a pay per view network. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With yeah. you know YouTube, they don't charge you to post anything on there. It doesn't cost any money, and right. you also can't charge people. So it's just it's a little bit of a different thing. Like if you want to do a band with cameras moving from location to location in America, you kind of need a little bit of revenue coming in to do that. Yeah, for sure. Or you're going to lose a lot of money fast. Absolutely. But something like Bob G, I do in my basement. It doesn't cost me anything to do it. It's more suited for uh, YouTube, especially at first when it's very experimental. So on SoundCloud, it's under Baba G. I think so. Baba okay. G or Barber Shreds. It's on one of the two. It's just that Barber. very first set I did. I haven't posted the second set yet because I just haven't gotten a chance to listen to it yet. All right, cool, then, uh, cool. Once I listen to it and see the audio is cool, I'm going to post the second one. And then I'm going to do just post everything that I do to that SoundCloud page. Oh, right on. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, cool. I was curious about that. Um, all right, one thing I got to hit you up on, inverted songs. Tell, talk to me about that. <laughs> Before I let, uh, before, before I let is, you go. Well, an inverted song is is this like thing that people like have trouble understanding. And it is because it's so rarely done in the world. I don't know any other bands that really do it. But to us, it's very natural and normal. It doesn't feel weird to us at all. But I just don't know who what other type of music to explain it as. But essentially if you have a jam sesh- section in inside of a song, a solo that becomes a jam, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you might jam into another song and you might jam into the jam session of another song, which then puts you into the second half of that other song. Yeah. So you haven't played the first half of the other song yet, 
but you are in the second half of it. And then you might decide to do what you would normally do in the jam session of that song when you come out of the jam and go back into the song. Mm -hmm. So that's all an inverted song is, is you're starting the song, the next song, you're in this jam and you go into the second half of a different song. And then when you get to the end of it, you loop it around to the beginning because a lot of times the end and the beginning of these songs are the same or at least close enough for funk. And then you go into the beginning and you get back into the jam. And then when you get into that jam, you go into another song. And that's right. all the inverted song is. How is that different than what The Dead does or what Fish does or what Goose is currently doing and what other jam bands are doing is playing in of one song, out of one song, into another song, and then back into the prior song? I was told that The Fish and The Grateful Dead don't do inverted songs by fans. I was told this. Um, I don't know if they're right or not. I didn't think when we started inverting songs that it was anything special. Anyway, so I don't. I just thought, oh, well, why jam into that song when we could jam into this song and then go here with the show? Hmm. You know, for me, it was just like, let's go there with the show, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's all it ever was for us. And then people tell me all the time that, like, when the dead or when fish jam a song, they f end the song that they started. They don't go into a different song. But I don't necessarily know if that's how I remember those bands. I used to see those bands a lot when I was a kid. And I don't remember, I, I, I don't never thought of inverted as something that only the biscuits do. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't, yeah, I, I would assume every band does inverted songs. That's what I would assume. Like, why not? You, why not jam into another song? It makes no sense. Um, but people tell me that the Biscuits do it in a way, I don't know. I, I would agree with you. I think that the Dead and Fish probably have both done it hundreds of times. Yeah. Before I, I even was born, probably. You know what I mean? <laughs> maybe, maybe. Well, the Dead probably before you were born. Um, yeah, definitely, yeah, right? Yeah, just or, taking those jam elements and just times. creating something absolutely new, and if you go to a particular section in a different song when you're in one song, you know, it's all good. It's just all kind of the, the bigger picture of just creating a a new a new piece of music from the jams that you're familiar with without regard really to exactly where you're at at that one moment and whether that makes sense. Yeah, it's it's a weird thing. It's like have you ever like done something that people people like the biscuits are inverting and playing things in odd orders and changing things every single night. Like, literally multiple times a night. And I think we do it so often that people think of it as a very biscuity thing, whereas I never really thought of it that way because I just never really looked at the set lists of these other bands close enough to notice that they never did stuff like that. I just never looked at it that close. I just never mm. thought about it. I don't know what the word is for that, but you know, you just, the dead. You know, we looked at their set list and was just like, they are what they are. We didn't really scientifically say, well, they open with this kind of song. or We just noticed the songs were different from night to night. And our set lists are, people tell me that they're very different from the way the dead made sets and they're very different from the way the fish makes sets. Yeah. And um, and honestly, I don't know. I think they're thinking about sets at a level that I don't even think about it on. I don't even think that much about it. Yeah, yeah. No, I love the creativity. I love how it just come, it totally like comes from inside of you and just that this, this desire to create um, something that's extraordinary that ends up to be different than what any, everybody else has done. I think that's kind of part of your special sauce from what I understand. 
Yeah, like the most important thing as a musician is to find as many oh, that would be cool moments. <laughs> and be able to execute and them. And figure out a way yeah. to do them all. You yeah, know I mean? right, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like the alien thing. Like, oh, that would be cool. Let's figure out how to do it. Yeah, and then they yeah, come back. Yeah, we just did it. And then they come yeah, back yeah. down to Earth, and it's at Times Square at the venue we used to play in the basement of the Nokia. Yes, we can do that. That's <laughs> <laughs> pretty much how it went. Yeah. That's pretty much how it went. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no matter how far out you get, you can always fucking bring it back, man. You can always bring it back. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or I, or you I can just it. not or you can just leave it on the cutting room floor. I just uh it's funny to me how that idea you know just kept snowballing in in fun and excitement and happiness and stuff. Like a simple idea of let's just get taken to an alien space planet and play some music for them and yeah. like that's as simple as the idea is and and it it led to so many great songs and so many cool choruses and moments and stuff. Right. You know, it's it's just like, oh, that would be cool is like is is very important for musicians to court those kind of uh, moments. You like to have fun, right? I can tell, man. You love this shit. You just like you like to just do what you feel is inside and 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 for that 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 feels like it's fun for you. Am I am I on the right track? Well, yeah, I had an office job for a minute because, you know, being on the road for a while was, was really hard for me, and I had to stop. I had to stop. When was this? Just, it was 2011 and 12. I basically made myself stop. And a lot of people say that was terrible because it was the worst time during your career. You guys were about to be the biggest thing ever, and I've gotten all those speeches from people. But for me personally... um, it was just too much. It was too many hotels, too much of what being on the road is by definition, which is a lot of loneliness. And, you know, the, just becomes really hard after a while. Mm. And it took me a bunch of years. And in the real, and I went in the real world and I just, I like the real world. It's cool. It's easy. And it's <laughs> very f- comfortable and functional. And like, you get yelled at by people for no reason at work. I never understood why What'd people you do? were yelling What'd you end at me up for doing, no John? reason. I did a lot of computer stuff and building stuff for people. I was very creative. I basically taught myself how to write computer code in a cabin in the middle of Colorado for like six weeks. I just sat there and taught myself everything I thought I needed to know. Then I went back to New York and found out that people were willing to pay me for what I just taught myself for. Mm. And I just did that. And then um, and then I did the whole, like, hey, let's get together at nine and drink coffee and talk about building this thing. And I thought that was cool. Like, I enjoyed it. I could do that. But there's something about music. There's something about um, creating this, this just, like, sound that brings joy to people. There's yeah. just something about that that you, you don't really quite get that in the, in the office world. And, um, and so, yeah. So I came back to music because I was like, you know, I should really go back to that. That was really fun. That's so interesting. You went away for it for a couple of years, but it sounds like it was for an interesting reason. It was like you wanted to kind of put your brain to use in a different way, maybe? Well, it did seem a little bit unfair that people were having all this fun with these computers and doing all this crazy stuff. And I was like running around playing a lute, you know what I mean? It felt felt a little bit weird in a way, you know? And then, you know, I got this weird thing where I couldn't put clothes into a suitcase. 
I just couldn't. Mm. Like I literally would open the suitcase and put it on the bed and it would sit there open. And then I would like clean wow. the house and do stuff that I would never do, like clean the bathroom. Like I would I would, I would clean, I would just like do something else. And then eight, nine hours later, the bus would be downstairs, like honking, like, let's go, let's go, get on the bus. And I would be like, oh my God, the suitcase is still empty. Like there'd be like one toothbrush in it and nothing else. And I'd be like, I can't pack a suitcase anymore. It was like a weird... Was that a one-time event or was this something that had kind of built up over a little while? Every single tour is getting worse. It would get worse every single Uh, tour. I mean, and then I would go on tour and I'd be like, okay, I forgot all my underwear. I forgot all my socks. I have no toothpaste. I don't have a t-shirt. I brought 12 pairs of pants and a winter coat and I'm going to Atlanta in the summer. (laughs) It would be like, why did I bother packing this? What is this? This is... This is not a suitcase. Like, I one time I was like, I should just throw this suitcase in the trash and just like go to Walmart. And I went to Walmart and just bought like a hundred boxers and t shirts and stuff. <laughs> but at that point, I was like, this is bad. This is not a, a good situation mentally. Mm, mm. So, when, when it wasn't fun, it really wasn't fun. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It wasn't terrible, but it, it was, it was definitely, uh, it was weird that it kept happening and I was aware of it. I used to make like lists of paper of like, this is what I need to pack. And then I would just be unable to like read the list and put it in a suitcase. It was wow. very weird. I would just find something else to do. And then I would, uh, I would not do what I was supposed to do. And honestly, this is a very musician thing. I know a lot of musicians that you try and get them to do something and they just can't do it. They could do everything else. You know, it's like a weird oh, I've, I've ADHD there. that, that yeah, artists yeah. have. So you, so you took a height. So the band took a hiatus during that time. Yeah, we played all the shows that you know were amazing, like Red Roxes and the Man Music Theater, and we played a lot of the big shows that were just like I can't believe we even get to play this type of shows. But we, we, you know, I was going to an office on Monday morning, you know, and trying to just be a normal person for a minute because. Uh, I just did. I felt like I was so far away from. I was felt like I was in like a bubble of one. Mm. You mm. know, like where was I? Who, who who did I talk to? And like a lot of musicians know what I'm talking about when you when you you get home from tour, and if you are single, if you get home from tour, um, you don't. There's nobody calling you because everybody, all your local friends think you're gone. And all your tour friends, no tours over, and they all went home. So right. you have this like weird, like ultimate loneliness to go from like last night of tour, biggest show of your career, everything's crazy, everybody loves you, and then two days later you're alone in your apartment. Yeah, yeah, that's like, when the to that's total when silence for like a week, and um, and yeah, that was a, that was a very weird experience. So what so was I, it that kind know. of brought? What was it that kind of brought you back from that? Obviously, you came back from that. You hit the road again, presumably. What was it that just was it that time off? What 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 was that kind of the decision making process to, to 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 come out from that, to come back from that, if you will, or or to transition back into what you were doing before? What did that look like, and what were the kind of the points of decision along that way? Well, that's a big question. Uh, I yeah. think the 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 overriding reason that I came back to music is because I just kept writing. And I mm. didn't keep writing on purpose. 
because I did not expect the Disco Biscuits to have a career after two years. You know, I, I was like, okay, we're going to do a couple of shows here and there, but we're not going to have a career after five years. That's crazy. And mm. we still do have a career, which is, I, I got to hand it to our fans. Like, they really uh, support. They really, really support us. Um, but I was just writing music all the time without, like, I have 10 years worth of songs that I just never made. And a lot of them are in this rock opera, which is very satisfying for me. A lot of them are going to be on the next couple albums we make. It's, it just wrote a lot of music just for fun, you know, and just because I didn't know what else to do with my Tuesday night, you know. Yeah. And so um, I think after a while I was like, wow, I still, I still do this job even though – I don't do any of the other parts of it. I just do the uh, oh, that would be cool part. You know, yeah, what I mean? yeah. It's and, it's um, it's party. It's party who you are, right? Well, you start thinking. You start thinking like, well, how are people going to react to this? Oh, this is great. I love this. Would other people love this? And when you start asking yourself a question of like, how do other people react to the music that you're thinking of? Then you you basically have to get your uh, system together. You know, you got to get your band together make something happen yeah which you did which we did yeah which we did yeah you have to believe in what you really think that you were that you're meant to do right i mean you gotta put yourself out there even more so than you yeah. maybe perhaps you had before because you, you went away for a while and then you sort of question why what you were doing in the first place it was real it sounds like it was a real moment of reckoning for you it was a very weird couple of years, for sure. Yeah. Because we did play a lot of shows for a couple of years, and um, and it's tough. Being on the road is tough. So you really have... For me, I need a lot of purpose to be on the road. Like, I need to have a giant double album to play for people. Like, I need these things, or being in the band is is like becomes this like weird mental game where I'm, I'm like, why can't I put clothes in a suitcase? Like all these weird things start happening. But if I have like songs to play and stuff to do, then I don't think about any of that stuff because I'm busy. Right. So right. Okay. Like, okay. Yeah. That's, that's the strategy now, at least we'll see how long that lasts. Yeah. What about like logistically <laughs> trying to get back on the road and doing what you do on the road? Did you, did you make changes to what your routine was? Uh, I mean, look, I tried everything back in the day, so I don't know if my changes are so drastic from things that I, I ever tried before. I mean, we tried tours where we partied all the time. We tried tours where we didn't party at all. We're bone sober. We tried every. We tried tours where, you know, we we tried everything over the years, and the inertia of of traveling that much is just an unstoppable force. It's yeah. just unmovable. And you just end up sucked into it no matter how you're doing. Um, and then, you know, so we've kind of, you know, and this year as we go into that inertia, we'll see what happens. You know, we'll see how, we'll see how things go. I definitely think we are having like a year right now, which is very unique for us. You know, we have, we did, we maybe made 16, 17 new songs this year, 14 of them are on this opera, like so much new music. And just fun stuff to do, and we're all writing together, which is which is cool and interesting. And so there's a lot of real positives to what we're doing. So I think the the tour is going to be very welcome. 
That's awesome, man. You know what I mean? Which is good, which is good. And I've been packing really well. I've been I've been successfully packing socks and pants and <laughs> Doing underwear. Doing some practice practice runs. Is the is the suitcase <laughs> open on your bed right now, man? <laughs> no, it's not. But the the other day in Chicago, I like noticed that I had everything that I needed for Chicago. And oh, I was like, wow. Go. Yeah. This is incredible. This is just great. <laughs> I'm gonna wear fresh I'm gonna wear clean underwear today. That's what I'm gonna do. That's always a plus, man. That's always nice, you know. Just put that, put it's the really right great. foot forward with starting with your underwear. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, cool. So we got so much to look forward to. If you're a Biscuits fan, you know the the new album coming out uh, later on this year or mid this year or whenever you decide. And uh, um, you guys are hitting the road in a really cool way in January and February and um, doing some amazing venues like the Cap and Caverns and Belly Up and Aspen and Mission Ballroom in February, dude. That's going to be great. And fucking Iceland, the land of Jules Verne, among other things. <laughs> there you yeah. go. That's where they can come back in. And you gotta read, make sure you read Journey to the Center of the Earth before, uh, uh, before you get there. It's set in Reykjavik. From what I can remember, it was when I read it with like fourth grade. Okay. Um, I like that. Great stuff, man. Very cool. You do Very amazing, cool. It's been amazing a stuff. Talking man. to you. Yeah, it's been great yeah. to learn more about you and learn about the biscuits. I'm so I'm so psyched that I went and I can't wait to come back, man. I'll definitely be at another show. And um, I see a lot of bands play in different venues, and I see a lot of different music. And while I was at that show, I had the distinct thought: I need to see Disco Biscuits at Red Rocks for sure. That's got to awesome. be an amazing venue awesome. for for that. Yeah, for that 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 the setting and the vibe of what you guys do really matches up with that place for sure. Um, I mean, last time we were there, we did three nights, and um, and is the first time we ever did three nights before. And the third night, we were so loose and comfortable on that stage mm -hmm. that it really felt amazing. We had an incredible time. You said that was the first the first time you played Red Rocks. You felt that way. When was the first time? Oh no! First time we played Red Rocks, we were opening for Phil Lesh back in the day, uh, and uh, that was pretty incredible. Yeah, uh, but you know we've played it a bunch of times over the years, so it's right. but it's a hard place to play because there's a lot of wind. Yeah, there is. It's uh -huh. Surprising wind makes the venue very difficult. It's hard to play. It's hard to hear things right when you're standing in a little bit of a wind tunnel. Um, and you do as much improv as we do. You know, it'd be yeah. easier if we just kind of went through the motions. But we have to hear each other really well all the time and kind of be cueing off of each other all the time. And that's difficult to do at Red Rocks. Interesting. Huh. All right. I'll bear that in mind. <laughs> uh, thanks so much, John, for being here. Good luck with your son. I look forward to that progression and uh, look forward to seeing you guys again. You're just doing some amazing stuff and look forward to the new album, Another Plan of Attack. No, it's not going to be called Another awesome. Plan of Attack. What's it going to be called? Revolution in Motion. Revolution in Motion. Yeah. Okay. But right now on Spotify, you can find the collection of songs under Another Plan of Attack. Okay. Your All right. There you go. Check that out. There you go. Apple Music, stuff like that. Right on. Thanks, John. Such a pleasure, man. Awesome. Appreciate you being Appreciate here. it, man. Thank you. Cheers. Okay. That was me and John Gutwillig. Having a nice chat, really learned a lot about John, and I know that you did too. Uh, I am a fan of Disco Biscuits now, having seen them over New Year's. What a, what a fantastic show. Totally not my lane, like I talked about 
but uh, but really, really had an amazing time and just really interesting to talk to him about uh, where he came from, from a musical influence standpoint, uh, what they think about on stage, uh, how they play off of one another, how they create these amazing beats live in the moment. Uh, some of John's uh, DJing sets, or not really DJing sets, but live electronica sets as uh, his name, Baba G, and he says he can find those on SoundCloud. I really, I haven't looked them up yet, but uh, but I'm, I'm sure they're really just amazing, you know, and for him, being on the road was really tough, and, uh, you know, he took a regular job for a little while, they took a bit of a hiatus, uh, and uh, now he's finding that he wants to get back out there. He's been out there for a little while and, uh, you know, had struggles during COVID and, uh, but became a dad during that time. And that's really inspirational. And I can tell that he really feels like, uh, that's something that he absolutely really loves. And now they're kind of structuring touring in a different way, uh, to kind of accommodate this, uh, uh, trying to get out on the road and sort of tour smarter now, but also John is a dad and he's not the only dad in the band as well, but, being a new dad wants to be at home, spend time with the, with his uh, with his son, and you can bring him out on the road if they do fewer venues at a time. It's just easier that way. So on that note, they're getting out there. Uh, first show of this new tour is January eighteenth, the House of Blues in Cleveland. You can check out more dates on their website. They'll also be at the Cap at the Caverns Belly Up Mission Ballroom in Denver, and of course their upcoming album is entitled revolution in motion it is a space opera and the singles are out now under uh the title another plan of attack you can find those on all the streaming services and of course they're doing dates in reykjavik in iceland which will be amazing and you should go to their website to find out more information about that Thanks again for being here for this episode of Roadcase. Thanks for bearing with me on this, uh, with my COVID voice of this week. But uh, I'll be back next week with even more amazing guests and in the future. And in uh, the 2023 is going to be an amazing year for Roadcase. So happy that you're all here. And I want to send a special thank you to John Gutwillig of Disco Biscuits for being here on this episode of Roadcase. Thanks again so much for listening. And I'd like to encourage everyone to get involved with Roadcase. You can do so in a number of different ways. You can email me at info at roadcasepod.com with questions, comments, and even suggestions for guests. Or you can follow us on the socials, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. We're at RoadcasePod. And we have a YouTube channel called Roadcase Podcast. And of course, you can subscribe to this podcast on your favorite listening platform. And if you could please rate and review the podcast while you're there, that would be great. So I want to thank Waltzer for this awesome theme music that we have. And I want to thank all of you for tuning in and listening to Roadcase. We have a lot of great episodes coming up, so I'll see you on down the road. <laughs>